city heart be flutter with stuttering sounds. Gutter music for silver lining clouds tumbling down. Town we breathe in memory. Welcome to Working Class Heroes Radio. My name is Julian Guerrero. I'll be one of your hosts tonight. And my name is Lupita Romero, and I'm your other host. We have been collaborating with Law at the Margins to bring you tonight's special show. Leah Ramirez and Danny Catch will be speaking with Chris Smalls. Chris Smalls worked at Amazon's Staten Island Warehouse, where he helped organize a strike back in March of 2020 after Amazon consistently violated COVID-19 safety standards. Before that, as usual, we're going to cover this week's latest headlines and then talk a little bit about the new Tax the Rich campaign launched for New York State. We'll also be opening our phone lines a little bit earlier in the show because we want to hear your thoughts and questions about all of these topics and not as usual, only our interview. But first, we recognize that this show is made here in New York City on land that was stolen from and still rightfully belongs to the Lenape people. We stand in solidarity with all Indigenous peoples in their struggle for liberation, and we call on our listeners to do so as well. Now, on to our roundup of headlines for this week. As we reported on our last show, over 140 people participated in hunger strikes at Essex and Hudson County jails to demand that they be released from ICE custody so that they can reunite with their families and fight their immigration cases safely from within their homes. Due to retaliation against hunger strikers in Essex and Hudson County jails by ICE and jail staff, most of those on hunger strike suspended their protests as of Monday, January 11th. But some individuals have continued to carry on their own hunger strike. And as of Thursday, there were at least five people still on hunger strike in ICE detention at the Buffalo Federal Detention Facility in Batavia, New York. COVID-19 has broken out in the Orange County Correctional Facility in Goshen, New York, which has a contract with ICE to detain immigrants. According to Detention Watch Network, ICE's policy of transfers between locations combined with jail conditions were responsible for a stunning 5.5% of COVID cases nationwide as of August 1st, 2020. Abolish ICE protesters are having another large rally and march in opposition to ICE and these detention centers this coming Monday at the Hudson County Jail at 12 p.m. You can follow at abolishice underscore NYNJ for updates and details on this ongoing struggle. Now moving to national news. On January 6, a violent mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol in support of Trump's attempt to overturn the election. As of today, at least 32 sworn members of U.S. law enforcement from at least 15 states have been identified in the riot through videos and pictures that circulated on news reports and social media, including one alleged NYPD officer so far. Several former police officers were also seen at the action. The FBI warns of possible violent actions by Trump supporters across all 50 states to take place on Inauguration Day. D.C. residents are asking hotels to shut down or refuse to house the Trump supporters, but many have refused to do so, endangering local service workers and residents who are primarily people of color. Several weeks ago, we reported on what may have been the single largest protest in human history which was the farm workers' protest movement in India. Up to 250 million farmers and workers marched, occupied roads and highways, and set up protest camps. 
Since then, the Indian government bowed to pressure from this prolonged show of collective strength and suspended the series of new laws that the farm workers were protesting against. The Indian Supreme Court suspended these laws and established a committee to look into the farmers' concerns. While many politicians celebrated this progress, the leaders of the farmers' movement stated that it is not the time for committees and that they would continue protesting until this legislation was completely repealed. And this past Monday, on January 11th, was the 19th anniversary of the opening of the Guantanamo Bay detention camp. Several progressive national organizations, such as Justice for Muslims Collective, Amnesty USA, and the Center for Constitutional Rights, commemorated this date with a virtual vigil to continue the fight to shut down the facility and achieve justice for detainees. They called for the closure of the prison camp that's been marked by institutionalized Islamophobia, torture, and unsanitary conditions against an entirely incarcerated Muslim population. Most of the men in Guantanamo Bay have never been charged, while five of them have been cleared to leave the facility since 2016, but have never actually been released. Some might remember that Obama signed an executive order to close Guantanamo in his first week in office, and yet never actually did so. Writer, artist, and former Guantanamo prisoner, Mansour Deifi, spoke at the event and of the torture and dehumanization in Guantanamo, and of his and other detainees' gratitude for those who are working in solidarity to free them. Here's a clip of Deifi speaking to his experience. And this is the 19th anniversary. I remember the very first day I was taken to Guantanamo to the unknown. Guantanamo, it was like everything is challenged. Being there, being there, knowing nothing about you, about your life, about your future, about why you're there, for how long, until when, until to where you are going to where you are going to be sent. This is the life for us for the last 15 years. Not just that, which actually it was enough punishment, but still the more we stayed, the more it gets it, it got worse. So Guantanamo was actually evolving. We were aging and evolving with it. But we went under the systematic machine that designed to crush us over and over again. And the simplest questions we would like to, we would ask and would like to have an answer. Why? Like, for a reason. But the innocence that in our heart, knowing that we have done nothing wrong, that give us like really powerful, uh, powerful uh, force to survive. It was about surviving at Guantanamo. Guantanamo burns everyone it touches, not just uh, detainees or women there, guards, camp staff, interrogators, even animals, everyone there. Because it was wrong from the very beginning. For more information on this issue, you can visit www.amnestyusa.org forward slash Guantanamo. We here at Working Class Heroes stand in solidarity with everyone currently detained in Guantanamo Bay. That's it for headlines this week. We will be back after this music break to talk about the growing efforts to tax the rich in New York City. We'll also be opening up our phone lines to take calls and to hear from you. So please stick around.
respect between the only people left who'd even look me in the eye. Now I laugh and make a fortune off the same ones that I tortured and the world screams, kiss me, son of God. I look like Jesus, so they say, but Mr. Jesus. That was Kiss Me, Son of God by the band They Might Be Giants, which we thought would be very appropriate for this week's extended discussion, which is on the Tax the Rich campaign that was just launched. So obviously, it's an understatement to say that the economic effects brought on by this pandemic have been disastrous, horrible, grueling for working people in our city and really across the nation. In fact, Governor Cuomo recently said that he expects New York State to face a $50 deficit over the next two years. In response to this, progressive organizations, unions, and a handful of elected officials are now calling for raising on taxes on the rich to fill all of these budget holes. Last year, we saw the launch of the Make Billionaires Pay campaign, and this year, the Democratic Socialists of America have launched the Tax the Rich campaign that, if passed, would raise between 50 and $70 billion in taxes. However, in remarks around this issue, Governor Cuomo has, has outright refused to discuss a tax increase on wealthy New Yorkers. On January 12th, protesters made up of parents, educators, and students <clears throat> gathered on the street outside 740 Park Avenue under the shadow of the Tower of Power. It's called the Tower of Power for being an apartment building filled by residents with the highest amount of concentrated wealth on the planet. The action was called by the Alliance of Quality Education, and here's a clip from that rally. It is very upsetting to me that we have to come here from the comfort of our communities because our communities are just as good as the rich people's crack ass.
That was Tanisha Grant, a parent leader for the Alliance of Quality Education, as well as the CEO of Parents Supporting Parents. She and others at the rally are calling for support of the Invest in Our New York Act, which builds on the DSA's Tax to Rich campaign. Just so you know, we have our phone lines open, so you can give us a call at 212-209-2877. We want to hear from you on this topic. Again, that number is... 212-209-2877. Everyone that I've spoken to, um, from my workplace to my colleagues to my family, you know, say that the inequality that is happening in this country is just more shocking and more ongoing than ever before. And it's been widely reported in the media that the rich have gotten richer during this pandemic. If anything, according to Visual Capitalist, the top 10 billionaires in the world saw their wealth grow by an average of 57%. And Amazon, a company we're going to touch on later on in the show through our interview, is one of the world's richest corporations. And they saw their worth shoot up from $1.5 trillion in 2020 to an even higher amount this year. So there's definitely plenty of money to go around. The budget issues that New York City and the state are facing are not actually about revenue generation. It's about the lack of political will for taxing the rich. There's currently 120 billionaire New Yorkers, and their combined net worth is over $600 billion. Throughout the pandemic between March and June of 2020, just those few months, they saw an increase of $77 billion. That is money that is in our cities and in our state and that we could be using that could be used for far better purposes than lining the pockets of those people, in my opinion. So again, we want to hear what you think about this campaign to tax the rich. So give us a call at 212-209-2877. Before we take some calls, I think it'd be good to help break down the proposals uh, for taxing the rich. So what are the details behind the campaign to tax the rich and the Invest in Our New York Act? There are six different parts to this campaign and these demands are that the first would be creating a new progressive income tax system. The second would be creating a capital gains tax income from, uh, I'm sorry, a capital gains tax that taxes income from stock investments the same as wages. Uh, There would then be an inheritance tax on inheritance where only the top 1% would be affected by this tax. Finally, the last three set of taxes are a specific tax on billionaires, a small tax on Wall Street, and a bill that would overturn the Trump tax breaks on the rich. It's a very comprehensive bill with lots of parts, but if passed, these bills would fill the budget holes and really would stop the decades-long trend of cutting budgets and programs that help working people while letting the rich pay less in taxes just about every year. So as we wait for calls to come in, if we can get some calls, again, that number is 212-209-2877. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. But Lupita, what do you think about you know this campaign? So I actually haven't hadn't heard about this campaign, um, mostly because I think just reading the news about rich people getting richer 
makes me personally angry. <laughs> but I think, you know, just looking at the demands, um, you know, for this discussion, I really agree with it. You know, I think that um, that is income that in the myth of the American dream is sort of supposed to be from hard work from these wealthy individuals. But if you look at the last three decades um, and all of these reports on in income inequality, it's not so much hard work as it really is a system that benefits them and that allows them to make all of this money um, just from, you know, their already generational wealth. And so I think that for me, um, this campaign makes a lot of sense on different angles. And the first one being that New Yorkers, the other half of New York that is really struggling is in dire need of the social services that we're not funding right now because we don't have that, those tax profits to fund them with. And, you know, I think that we've been hearing throughout the year about the cuts to the MTA. We're hearing about national reports of over 140,000 government jobs that are being lost and which are all being lost by women who are employed in those jobs. And so, you know, for me, a tax on the wealthy here in New York State and really across the nation um, would help to prevent all of those crises. And so when Cuomo says, you know, we're bound to have this crisis for the next two years, it, it's really not a fact as much as it's a decision, a decision to not use that money, not uh, make those taxes go towards our MTA, our housing, our hospitals. And at, as that rally spoke to, you know, things like school education and other public infrastructure. Um, so, you know, as far as I go, I'm definitely in support of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think those are all really important, um, sort of like a context for people to sort of get and, and, and understand. I mean, for as long as I've been a part of the left or act, you know, part of social movements or protesting, there's always been a call for taxing the rich. I mean, you know, from way before 2007, but 2007 and the, uh, the, the, the great recession that that brought on was definitely something that heightened these calls. And yet we've done nothing but cut budgets and cut programs that working people need. And in the meantime, the rest, the rich get to get away with as much money as they can. And, and they're making a killing throughout this entire thing. Um, and it seems like you say, it's totally a political will issue. I mean, not that long ago, the, the New York state, de Blasio Cuomo were willing to give Amazon. How much was it? Billions of dollars to I think $5 to, billion, yeah, something like that to come set up their second HQ here in Queens. Um, so while they're giving money for these people to come and quote unquote, create jobs that really would not be jobs for any, I mean, not many New Yorkers themselves, but probably more so jobs for people who are coming into the country from, I mean, into the state from other places, into the city from other places. Um, some would call them settlers, right? Uh, they're coming in and these would be the people that would benefit from these jobs. So I think it's, it's a real interesting uh, political question to those in power here. So why is it? that we can't tax the rich? Why is it that uh, working class New Yorkers have to tighten their belt for another year in a series of decades of belt tightening uh, for, for many working class New Yorkers and, and poor New Yorkers? So it is, it is a very striking uh, political contrast that I think we see here. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think that you mentioned in some of the demands for the, the campaign, um, you know, repealing or overturning Trump's 2017 tax uh, plan, tax act. Um, and while I was reading about that, it really struck me that apparently Trump's taxes, which, you know, everybody complained about, um, was actually 
a tax act that made it so it's the first time in history, the first time in history, in the history of capitalism, that working class people, that poor people actually pay more taxes than the wealthy do. And so to me, that alone is just incredible because I, I remember my colleagues, I remember my friends um, complaining about the fact that for the first time in their lifetime, they had to actually pay back taxes instead of getting a refund. Um, and a lot of people actually rely on refunds for things that we can't afford every other day, like even things like dental procedures, right, that people were literally counting on that income for. And so, you know, if we don't, whether the this particular act is passed or not, um, with these terms, if we do not tax the rich, we are going to continue to see a decrease in our quality of life. Um, I was just talking to one of my clients, um, as, my, as I've mentioned before in the show, I'm a, I'm a paralegal, so I work with low-income New Yorkers. One of my clients was telling me that, you know, what he used to be able to buy at the grocery store uh, for $100 today is nothing compared to what he was able to buy even 20 years ago. And so I think that a lot of this inequality, we see it change every day, little by little. And now we're at a point where 10 years later, you're talking about a, a ridiculous change, a vast change in the quality of life of people. So, um, you know, for me, those are the things that I think about um, for many people. Wealth is still something that is earned, but I think, you know, as we've been speaking about, um, this is actually something that's being given away by our politicians, by um, those in power in a very deliberate way. Um, so, you know, definitely, I hope that we can continue to cover this issue in this campaign and that something really does happen. Absolutely. And and just the impact, the political atmosphere that, you know, austerity creates, you know, trickles into every facet of life and every different agency and every different attitude about how they see what can or can't be done for working people. Um, so I think it is a, a positive thing that there's a tax to rich campaign out there that can, you know, raise expectations that can give working people who are out there facing their employers who are trying to, you know, put them on furlough days or cut their wages or get rid of their cost of living adjustment that they have coming up, you know, they can say, no, you don't have to cut our budget. You don't have to cut our wages. You can actually go to the city and demand that the city uh, raise taxes on the rich. So that's something I think that has an impact, a trickle, in, a trickle down, quote unquote, or a trickle around everywhere impact about the idea that we can actually take some money um, that is, I think, rightfully ours because, you know, we can controversially say here where this money comes from, who actually creates the wealth that these billionaires have taken um, from generally working people. And I think it's, it's a whole thing that for there to be an American dream for a few, you know, people here in this country or in this city, there has to be a nightmare for a vast majority. So I think New Yorkers really need to open their eyes to this amount of money that New York city billionaires hoard. There are times I think like now where New Yorkers can't afford to, let this pass them by. The pandemic has been really difficult. It's brought dark times for many New Yorkers, many working class people everywhere. And I think this campaign can help bring about some light uh, and some opportunity for us to keep pushing forward for social justice and for programs that, you know, working people really do need in these, in these tough times. So we're going to take a quick music break, but when we come back, Leah and Danny will be speaking with our featured guest, Chris Smalls. They will also be taking some calls, so please stay tuned. There are times when you need someone. I will be by your side. 
Is Open Your Eyes by Bobby Codwell. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. This is Leah Ramirez. And I'm Danny Catch. Tonight, Leah and I are so excited to have Chris Smalls on the show. Chris is a former Amazon worker who was fired this spring, or I guess it's last spring now, after organizing a walkout to protest violations of COVID-19 safety standards in his Staten Island warehouse. And since then, Chris has helped, has been organizing like crazy. He's helped form the Congress of Essential Workers. Thanks for that intro, Danny. We also want to mention and give a shout out to Law at the Margins, a media publication that aims to highlight the ways that our laws and legal institutions expand or limit the rights and social justice aspirations of people and communities. This interview is actually a collaboration between Working Class Heroes and Law at the Margins, which we're really excited about. Okay, so now that we got the introductions out of the way, welcome to Working Class Heroes, Chris. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. As Annie said, I know you've been really busy lately. Um, so before we jump into the interview, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Are you originally from New York? Uh, yes, thank you, Leah, and thank you, Danny, for having me. Um, I'm, I'm not from New York. I actually, I'm from New Jersey. I worked in New York uh, at Staten Island, but uh yeah, 10 minutes away my whole entire life, born and raised in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Cool. That's really cool. Uh, so, like, now moving on to Amazon. So, how did you end up working for Amazon? I know you said you currently live in New Jersey and you're working in Staten Island. What was your experience like there before the pandemic? And what led you to organize the protest? Absolutely. Yeah, I started at Amazon back in 2015. Um, I came in entry level. I uh, took a pay cut, actually, to leave my previous job. And um, I, I thought that Amazon would be a better career experience for me. And, um, you know, I was excited to start there. I opened up three major buildings. I started off in New Jersey. I actually transferred out to Connecticut to launch another building. And my last building was Staten Island. Um, Pre-COVID, you know, I was, you know, a dedicated pro-Amazon worker. Uh, I wasn't an organizer, wasn't an activist. Um, I after six months of working there back in 2015, I got promoted to a supervisor position and I was in that same position for the next four years. Um, so uh, every every uh, year, pretty much, I dedicated myself into uh, trying to make my workers around me feel like it's a family environment. You know, I spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week with these people. They were my extended family. 
And um, I treated them with respect and everybody loved and respected me as well. Um, the working conditions there, uh, we had long hours and uh, I used to tell new hires, you know, if you have a gym membership, you might want to cancel it. It's 10 hours of calisthenics. Um, and and it, just bringing back the fact that I lived in New Jersey, um, my commute to Staten Island was three and a half hours each way. You know, I had to catch the bus, the ferry, the train, um, just to get to work on time. And I actually worked the graveyard shift, the 12-hour wow. shift. So just imagine. So then what ended up, so so maybe if you can then describe what, okay, so so you're there, you're fully invested, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're maybe a star employee even. How, how does it end up that you become, you know, Amazon's public enemy <laughs> number one? Uh, what, what, yeah, what, what led to that? So, yeah, um, I once again, I was with the company dedicated for four and a half years. And um, I did mention the fact that I was in the one position for four years as a supervisor. Um, and I realized the systemic racism in the company. Um, I've watched my white counterparts with less experience come in and get promoted right over me. Um, I watched how I applied for a management position 49 times and I was denied for no reason. And pre-COVID, I was already mentally done with the company. I wanted to get out of it um, and, and move on. Uh, but then I seen, as COVID-19 came into play, I seen my employees, which once again, my extended family, get sick one by one, uh, flu-like symptoms every single day, and the company failed to do anything. We had no PPE. We had no safety guidelines. We had no enforcement. Um, there was nothing. There was just, you know, business as usual. We are actually throwing parties in the middle of the Epic Center um, back in March. So I was uh, appalled about what was going on. And I knew it was my responsibility as a leader at that building to say something. And I did. I did. I tried to go through the proper channels, going through HR, um, didn't work. And then I decided to take action behind the scenes. I actually sent letters and emails out to the CDC Department of New York, uh, to Governor Cuomo's office, to Mayor de Blasio's office, um, to the media, and I didn't get anything um, that first week. I didn't get any response until I started organizing workers within the facility. Uh, my stance happened on March 24th when the company told me not to tell any of the employees that was in my department that somebody tested positive. And um, I, I couldn't stand with that. So that was my stance right there, my last time working for the company. So I spent the rest of that week um, off the clock on my own free will uh, in the cafeteria, organizing workers for 10 hours a day, uh, interrupting the general man manager's uh, meetings every morning, voicing our concerns. We wanted the building to be closed down, professionally sanitized, uh, for workers with underlying health conditions to be paid and, and, and um, able to stay home. Uh, for, for parents like myself that have children that had no more school, uh, we wanted to be home and, and stay safe as well with our family. So these were simple demands and the company refused to listen to us. Uh, they denied our, you know, our voices. And pretty much at the end of that week, they decided to quarantine just me out of 5,000 people that report to that building. So I knew I was being a target for advocating and I knew they were trying to silence me. So I decided to take further action and hold that protest on March 30th. Uh, two hours after that protest, that's when I was fired uh, over the phone. Um, a week later, Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, the man that makes $4,000 a second, you know, $9 million an hour, $13 billion a day, um, he decided to have a meeting to smear me, pretty much. A smear campaign calling me not smart or articulate, 
make me the whole face of the whole union organizing efforts of Amazon. Somebody in that meeting actually didn't disagree with him, and they leaked that memo. Um, and that pretty much catapulted me into position of the media spotlight. And, um, you know, I, not only did I feel disgusted about working for this man for the last four and a half years, but the fact that he has that type of conversation when it's racism, um, you know, not smart articulate is definitely a stigma in the black community um, to pretty much discredit my my credibility to the media, diminish my character and crush those at the bottom. That's how capitalism works. So um, I decided to fight back. You know, I founded my organization, uh, TCLW, the Congress of Essential Workers, a collective of Amazon, former or current workers and uh, other essential workers from different organizations or companies. Um, and collectively, we've been traveling the country for the last six months, uh, traveling to all the Jeff Bezos residents. And we started off at, in New York City at his $80 million mansion. We traveled down to Washington, D.C., to his $23 million mansion. Then we went out west to uh, his Beverly Hills, $165 million mansion. And then we was uh, in Seattle a few weeks ago at his $28 million mansion, his first home that he ever bought. Um, we also hit up uh, Amazon HQ, the first one. So uh, collectively, we've just been trying to raise our voices and continue advocating for the same demands and, and then some. And it ties into um, the Tax the Rich campaign as well. The 1% class, the billionaires of this country, they all need to be taxed, starting with Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, who has more wealth uh, to take care of the entire population of this country and not so the entire world. Um, yes, so- no, definitely. Sorry. hundred billion just last year, right? I mean, it's, it's insane. Insane. Yeah, and de- definitely on that, we're actually going to touch upon that a little later. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. But thank you, Chris. Um, I can't wait to talk a little bit more about some of the uh, the organizing that you've been involved in more recently. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and take a pause for music break and a station identification. When we come back, we want to hear your questions for Chris and your thoughts about Amazon. So give us a call at 212 209 2877. Again, that number is 212-209-2877. We'll be back in a minute. Great. So that was Fight the Power by Public Enemy. You're tuned in to WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. We are here with Chris Smalls, who was fired by Amazon this spring, excuse me, last spring, for protesting COVID safety and has been organizing ever since. Give us a call at 212-209-2877 
if you have a question for Chris or opinions about Amazon. So one of the things you had referred to, Chris, is some of the experience that you face regarding racism within Amazon. So I, I know now that you're, you're part of a lawsuit alleging that the company's treatment of you is part of a pattern of racial bias. Can you elaborate more? I know you already mentioned that you were that, you know, a white, your white counterparts would come in and, you know, take those supervisor positions before you were given a chance. So I guess, yeah, what are some of those examples that you can think of? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, well, uh, just think about Amazon and as a whole, you know, this company comes into our communities, they set up shop, they hire and fire high turnover positions. Um, they don't give back to our communities. They hire straight from the urban areas, the black and brown, the indigenous and immigrants. That's their workforce. That's 80% of their workforce. And we don't have the same opportunities to grow within the company. And when it came to COVID-19, a life or death situation, we're dying at a higher rate and we were unprotected. And as I learned when I was advocating uh, organizing workers, my supervisors, who mainly are white, were being placed on quarantine. They were being briefed on how to, you know, say certain things to the employees, say that they are taking their vacation. When meanwhile, they're really quarantined to protect themselves while we're being told we have to come to work. And not only come to work, uh, we're doing mandatory overtime with no hazard pay, by the way, which they took away from us back in June. And I realized that, you know, this lawsuit that I wanted to file, um, I didn't want it to just be about myself. It never was. It was always about everybody. And that's exactly the way I approached it, um, filing a class action lawsuit so that um, all of us collectively uh, take down this company and get a piece of what we rightfully deserve. Um, you know, this is have to be David versus Goliath, and we all have to be David. You know, it's never going to be Amazon versus Chris Smalls the way they wanted it to be. It's going to be Amazon versus the people. So hopefully my lawsuit and the other ones that are filed with other people that I know personally, um, they upheld and we see some systemic change. Yeah, no, that's inspiring. And Amazon is, if there ever is a Goliath, it's Amazon. But I think, you know, I mean, the kind of work that that, that you and others have been doing is uh, is powerful. So we do have a caller now. So, um, yes, you have Jill, if we could hear from him. Welcome to Working Class Heroes, caller. Hey, yes, I'm here. Hi, how are you guys doing? Great, how are you? Um, yeah, so what, what do you got to say? Hi, uh, so I actually wanted to just say uh, power to you, Chris. Uh, Thank you. It's great what you're doing. Um, I really hope it goes your way. Um, and uh, the other thing is is that, you know, um, I'm sure you guys are aware of this, but there are um, there are movements and there are little organizations popping up all, all over, at least in New York, Shop Local. Um, it used to be called Cinch. Now it's called Shop in New York, and they'll deliver whatever you need. You know, um, anything from you know beer to diapers to anything in between. But you're shopping online. But it's uh, Brooklyn-based, New York-based companies. So it's great. Um, and then you know, if that goes national, that's Amazon out of business because people are they, they can get whatever they want online with the convenience but it's through their local businesses and not, you know, Amazon. So, I, I you know, that's um, that's just something I wanted to uh, share. Um, but also, too, to say, yeah, um, it, it is. It's all of us. It's all of us going to be able to uh, get together and, and take them down for sure. Uh, you know, cool. I, don't, I don't do Amazon myself. 
Absolutely. Thanks so much for the call. Yeah, Chris, you wanna do you wanna add anything in response? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's that's exactly what we have to do. We have to support our mom and pop and local stores and uh, local businesses. Amazon puts out a number of small businesses every single year. Um, they continue to crush their competitors. They steal our data. They sell our data. They destroy our communities. So she's absolutely right. Boycott the company until they take care of their employees. Great. And I think we have another call now. So, um, Yaron, welcome to Working Class Heroes. Hi. Um, Chris Smalls, I just want to salute you. From everything you've said, I really admire everything you've gone through. I was wondering of how you got to do all that by yourself, and how did you get the organizing committee together and sustain them to go throughout the country? And how do you suggest we go forward, uh, not only with Amazon, but all the big enterprises that are going to be coming in and taking over? As it is, Amazon came back to New York. They didn't need us after all. But thank you yeah. for your work. Thank, thank you. Um, you know, um, once again, we we talking about uh, accountability here when it comes to taking down Amazon. We got to hold our politicians and elected officials accountable as well. Um, the people we put in office and charge in our own communities from the councilmen and women, uh, we got to make sure that they represent the working class. We got to make sure that we're, uh, Governor Cuomo is actually listening to us when we're, we we got these campaigns going on. Um, I personally been out there in front of Governor Cuomo's office a few times, and he has yet to, you know, even acknowledge what's going on at Amazon right here in Staten Island, uh, one of his major uh, contributors when it comes to wealth and revenue. So we know that his billionaire ties and his billionaire donors are the reason why he won't even acknowledge what, what, what the people of the streets are saying. We have to make sure we address that every single time, put him on front street, um, and also down in Washington, make sure that the Biden administration know that the working class has a voice. Uh, we are no longer going to be ignored. We're not going to allow what happened in this last pandemic that we're still dealing with now to happen again. And so this window of opportunity that we have during COVID-19, I'm just trying to take advantage of that and uh, make sure that people that's willing to fight the fight with me, uh, we all just fight the fight in the right direction. Great. Thank you for that, Chris. That was really inspiring. Hopefully, you know, that calls people um, to the struggle. So I guess going back to our conversation we had at the beginning of the show around Tax the Rich campaign. Um, so one of the things I noticed is that, Chris, you're very active on social media, right? Um, which I love to follow you on Twitter. It's very saucy. Love it. Um, and you've been calling on Amazon to be broken up as a monopoly and for higher taxes on corporations and billionaires like Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. So why do you think Amazon's incredible size and wealth is a problem for society? I know you had mentioned it a little bit before, but why in particular Amazon? Because they control 70% of the market and um, <laughs> there's no room for small businesses to thrive. There's no room for the real uh, for local businesses, black or brown businesses to, to thrive in that marketplace when you have a company that controls that. Um, they, they, they're starting to get into pharmaceutical now. So you're telling me this man that created this company all for selling books is now, you know, he has his tentacles on everything from space to, you know, uh, the web services to your data. 
to now we're talking about getting involved with COVID-19 and there's something wrong here. Like, you know, there's something wrong when, when this one entity has so much power, why does there even be a such thing as the richest man in the world when there's people out here starving and facing eviction with no health insurance like myself? Um, it's just a shame of what's been going on. And I, I definitely think that this company needs to be demobilized. Not only this company, but there's other companies we could talk about like Google and face Facebook and, the Uber and Lyft and all the major big companies and the big tech companies that are controlling the market and thriving in the middle of the pandemic, they all need to be demobilized. And what I see uh, when it comes to the States and compared to the UK, where they're actually holding Amazon accountable, we don't have that here with the antitrust hearing that they had a few months back. Um, they pretty much brought these, uh, these CEOs on into Congress and gave them a slap on the wrist. Um, they didn't tax them. They didn't find them. They didn't do anything. And the UK, um, opposed to the UK, which they're finding Amazon, just 10% of the revenue that they made during the pandemic. And that 10% is $28 billion. This is money that we can use uh, to give back to the communities and give back to the working class. But here in the States, we don't have that. We don't have these, these type of, uh, I guess, grievances to the point where it goes to politicians and, and Congress and they realize that this is something that needs to be done. So I hope this tax the rich campaign really takes off. Um, and I support it a hundred percent and I hope that it does become something nationwide. So we're about to go to break. I just want to say, Chris, I think all of us are just super inspiring. Listen, you, I mean, it's like, you're talking about like this time last year, you're going about your job, like, like you described at the beginning of our conversation. And, and then you get like some of the most powerful people in the world haven't, meetings about how to smear you i can't imagine what that's like to go through and now you're here leading this fight you know what i mean it's, it's just i just whatever i'm i want to thank you but it's also just pretty pretty inspiring listening to you uh, but we are we are going to take one more break from music and station identification when we come back it's your last chance to call in uh and talk to a serious working class hero um about about amazon and wealth inequality again that number is 212-209-2877 we're going to be back in a minute I know you ain't come this far Just to go back to where you came from That song was Free by Salt. Welcome back to Working Class Heroes Radio, WBAI 99.5 FM, where we're joined by Chris Smalls about organizing against the beast, Amazon. We're almost out of time. we got a few minutes left to take your questions and comments. Give us a call at 212-209-2877. We do have a caller on the line. So welcome to Working Class Heroes. Hello. 
you are so inspiring. I wanted to address um, the question of big tech. Um, I don't know if you know, I think Scott Stringer said he wants to run for mayor, but why not make the Internet publicly owned? Why does it have to be taken over by these behemoths, these uh, corporate um, self-serving people? I mean, wasn't the Internet developed by public money, research and development, you know? And also I want to know that website you said to order instead of Amazon you said to order from. But uh, what about making it publicly owned? Oh, yes. Thanks, caller. So, yeah, Chris, what, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree that Wi-Fi should be free, you know, um, as um, that other activist uh, who's amazing, who I love, by the way, Tanisha Grant, uh, my sister, shout out to her, um, who's providing a great service for children in our community. Um, she's been doing it for months, and I'm so glad to have met her along my journey as well. And I stand in solidarity with her. Um, you know, Wi-Fi should be free and it should be a public owned um, entity as well, because uh, you've seen uh, it's disproportionate as far as the community that we live in. You know, the black and brown communities, once again, um, the families that are struggling during the pandemic don't have access to uh, Wi-Fi uh, that's, you know, even strong enough to have your child or multiple kids if you have a huge family. Uh, on Wi-Fi all throughout the day. I, I know I experienced it. I have twins and um, I had to upgrade my Wi-Fi just to sustain the connection, especially with the work I'm doing and, and have to be talking to people all day. And, um, you know, just having a family of five on Wi-Fi, that costs, it costs um, a monthly bill that we weren't able to even uh, imagine at this time. So I agree um, there needs to be a platform where it's free, especially free for the working class or at least, uh, some type of service that is free to us. Um, but you know, the reason why these techs do own these Wi-Fi and services because uh, it's about power. That's another way of uh, exploiting that power. You've seen it. They, we're talking about censorship as well. Um, you've seen how they use it to censor your president, uh, the president, uh, impeach president now, uh, Donald Trump. So you, you've seen how they are able to use and control censorship. That's another issue, another concern that we have um, dealing with you know, the government and, and big tech. So I just believe that, you know, this this time that we have window of opportunity, once again, with COVID-19, we have to take the power back in many, many ways. Uh, one way for sure that we can do is start by boycotting, boycotting these companies. That's the, that's the, that costs free. You know, that doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to uh, shop at these companies. You don't have to support them. You have memberships or subscriptions, cancel them. That is free free of charge, and you're doing a great service to working-class people that are going to these environments and struggling. Great. Thank you for that, Chris. I know, um, so when you were fired, um, the attorney um, General James and New York City Mayor de Blasio said that they were going to investigate Amazon um, and that there would be consequences. Do you know if there's any follow-up that had happened since then? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, the Attorney State General, Letitia James, she she stayed true to her word. So I've been working with the Attorney General's office. I have uh, another case pending with them as well um, that's in the in the process. So I don't have too many details I can share, but uh, the Attorney General's office is investigating on my behalf uh, towards Amazon. 
Um, and I also have my own separate civil case, which is the class action lawsuit against Amazon. So um, they definitely uh, withheld their promise and hopefully they continue um, since they did promise that they will investigate. So I'm just hoping that it goes through all the way. That's a, yeah, well, we're, we're very much hoping to. And so unfortunately, we're pretty much out of time, but just want to, you know, I wanted to give you the last word, you know, one last word about anything you want to say, but also really encourage you to put out your Twitter handle, but also let people know how they can find out more um, about your organization and, and the kind of work, the kind of work that they're doing. And for the caller who is asking about the, um, you know, the site, the, the alternate site to do deliveries, I'm so sorry that I'm not remembering it right now, but we will put it up on our website at Working Class Heroes, um, you know, uh, uh, later on. But, but yeah, Chris, if you want to take, take it away. Sure. Yes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at TCLEW. We also have a website, TCLEW.org. Follow me on Twitter. I always update it. uh, Try to keep everybody up to par. What's going on Um, at shut underscore down Amazon. No surprise there. Um, Also on Instagram. On brand. On brand. (laughs) And so, yeah, on Instagram as well, at TCOEW, uh, at Chris.Smalls underscore. Follow us and stay tuned. We have some great things coming up this year. Great. Well, unfortunately, like Danny said, uh, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming to speak with us. I felt like I learned a lot and really inspired by some of the work you and some of your um, fellow Amazon workers were doing and continue to do uh, against the giant Amazon. Also, shout out to our collaborators on this episode, Law at the Margins. Check them out at lawatthemargins.com. So thanks also to Lupita and Julian for hosting tonight's show. Thank you to Bree, Khadija, and Mel for their behind-the-scenes work this week. And of course, many thanks to the super producer, Giovanni Anglin. Next week, we're going from the corporate monopoly Amazon to the public institution it's trying to destroy, the U.S. Postal Service. We'll be talking to postal workers about daily conditions and the fight to stop, stop the privatization of this vital public. I did. I, I struggle with that word, that word quite some, you know, sometimes. Um, so make sure to tune in Saturday, January 19th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Until then, New York, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, in solidarity. Los locos en un loco.